Hi, welcome to Interrogatories with Josh Campson. I'm your host, Josh Campson. Today, we've got our first double interview, actually. We have Bruce Panko and Judge Joseph Walsh. They are law partners. Uh, we talk about what it was like for one of your law partners to briefly become a judge. We talk about what the practice of law has developed into over the past 30 or so years, as well as each of their weird superstitions about numbering and where they park. This is an interesting episode because, number one, it's the first time we had two guests, which was fun. Uh, and it's always interesting to hear about what causes someone to partner up with someone else, uh, what causes them to get essentially you know, business married. I mean, you're getting into a partnership. That's a pretty tight entanglement and how these gentlemen met and how they decided to start a firm uh, and develop that practice over the last 20 to 30 years. So you know, I think it was a good conversation. I think there's a lot to be learned here and, and in some interesting stories that they had. I hope you enjoy it. As always, don't forget to rate and review the episode and the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And as always, enjoy the show. Judge Walsh, Bruce Panko, uh, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Josh. Yeah, thanks for having us, Josh. So this is our first episode with two guests. So it's either going to be double the fun or it'll be horrible. But we'll see. We'll leave that to the reviewers. But I appreciate you guys coming on. And you guys are law partners, right? Yes. How long have you been partners? Uh, well, here we've, uh, we started this firm in January of 2007. Uh, we were both partners at a previous firm uh, for several years before that. And then you guys kind of pulled a Jerry Maguire at that firm and <laughs> spun off and started your own place? Yeah, it's some, something like that. Yep, yep. <laughs> what were you doing before, before you came together? Yeah, I mean, we, we the, the former firm was uh, an insurance defense litigation firm. Um, so, you know, that's actually how Bruce and I met going back to, you know, when I started there in 1994. I had actually met Bruce even earlier than that when I was in law school doing some, you know, clerk work for the firm. I think Bruce had just started as an associate back then. Um, was that 1991? 91, yeah. Um, so, yeah, Bruce and I worked together, you know, when I came on as an attorney in 1994. After I had a, a federal clerkship and I had, uh, you know, stint at another law firm, I ended up back at that firm again. Um, and they did it, you know, principally insurance defense litigation, which is, you know, the bulk of what we still do here. Although I think over the years we have branched out into some other areas, uh, commercial litigation. You know, I've done some municipal work. Um, you know, we both now, you know, given the backlog in the court are doing some arbitration mediation type work as well. So. Um, you know, there's certain things we don't handle. Family law, criminal, we'll refer out. But you know, anything that's litigation based, civil litigation based, I think we we have handled and, and very competently. So, you know, construction defects. I mean, it really run, has run the gamut. We do plaintiffs' work, you know, as well. So, and Bruce, was that? Does he always just kind of casually mention how much older you are than him? <laughs> how you figure that out? Yeah. <laughs> We did a little math there, like, oh yeah, you know, he was already established, and then I came in, and that was years later. It's only, it's only four years, Josh. It's not too bad. There you go. That's <laughs> not, that's not too bad. So you guys were working together. What made you decide to spin off and and team up together? I mean, I used to have a small firm, and I'm at a small firm now, so I'm familiar with that. But I'm curious what your thought process was, and was it similar to mine and my original partners, which was we had too much coffee uh, and decided that there are plenty of bad lawyers making lots of money, so we got to do better than them. 
I, I think, and I'll, and I'll let the, the judge speak to this as well, but part of it was, you know, everyone thinks you can do better, uh, do things better, uh, do things on your own. And uh, going back to your age, kind of be a little bit older. I was, I guess, around 45 at the time that, uh, that we split off. And it was one of those things that if I wasn't going to do it then, uh, you know, I wasn't going to do it at 55 or, you know, certainly not 60. So that was part of it. Uh, and again, we felt that, uh, you know, we thought we could bring work with us. We thought that we could, uh, you know, keep clients happy and, and do things on our own. And then also, uh, we were in Willow Grove, came back to Lansdale, which is kind of halfway between where I live and where, uh, where the judge lives. So that helped too, uh, I think, to build some of the outside practice, to take away some of just the insurance defense work to be local uh, so that people we know, our neighbors, friends, you know, know where a local firm could come to us. And so that's also helped develop uh, some of our practice. And Judge, what made you decide to, you know, team up with this character? <laughs> well, Bruce and I worked together for years. Uh, we worked well together. Um, I think our, our personalities complement each other, um, and, you know, and, and, and Bruce is a great trial lawyer. So, I, you know, we, we wanted to go out and be you know, trial lawyers. You know, as far as, you know, my motivation, I mean, I, I, I had some loyal clients, um, you know, that, you know, were consistently coming to me at, at the old firm. And I, you know, I felt like, well, I can kind of <laughs> I could do this on my own. Plus, at the time, I was very involved with with the uh, the North Penn area. I was on the North Penn school board. I was running for supervisor. Ended up becoming a supervisor in my township. So, I had a, had a lot of entrenchment in the community out here, which I thought would you know add some flavor to the firm. Um, and then also, to be honest with you, like Bruce said, with with his age, you know, even though I'm considerably younger, uh, you know, it, you know, you have those windows of opportunity in your life. And for me, it was you know, I, I had. I had a wife who was at the time a stay-at-home mother with three kids and so it was sort of between you know if things went drastically bad that she she probably you know could, could jump on a job or um you know we weren't at the point where we were staring down large college tuition so quite honestly from a financial standpoint i figured you know if i waited any longer i was going to get closer to that 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 college era you know which can be uh, financially right. daunting for, for parents so you know, that, that was kind of my window at that point in time. So, No, it makes sense. It makes sense. I mean, I know that's actually the opposite of what I did. I started my firm before I had kids thinking, oh, once I have kids, I'm not going to be able to handle the stress of, you know, going out on my own and not making any money for three or six months or whatever it's going to be because you have to put it all back in the firm. But I, I could definitely see having small kids and having that opportunity before they become big kids and the expenses, I guess, just pile on because um, they're out. expensive now. But I think they get much more expensive as it goes on. Yeah, the big kids, big expense. And someone had told me that when they were young, and it's true. I I, I remember going to uh, you know back to Toys Toys R Us in the day and picking up cases of formula. I have three daughters, and they're all the first ones are a year apart, and then we skipped a year. We had a third one. It's like three kids, pretty close together, and you know just going to Toys R Us and buying cases of formula and cases of diapers and complaining about how expensive this stuff is and can't wait to get out of this and. And then you get out of that phase and it just gets more and more expensive. So when I was sending my kids off to college, I, I was, uh, you know, lamenting the days of when I, when I, I, I was complaining about $75 formula. a formula. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll pick up a case of diapers any day compared to tuition at, you know, at out of state college. <laughs> Although I, I saw online, one of your daughters goes to Pitt. So, yeah, actually I, my, 
My oldest one went to University of Georgia. My middle one, uh, and she graduated in uh, in 2018. And then my, my middle one went to Pitt, graduated in 2019. And I have a junior at the University of Delaware. So are you a right, Pitt so person? I'm a Pitt guy, double Pitt, undergrad law school. So sounds yeah, like one of your girls has got a good head on her shoulders. You know, my, my son went there as well, Josh. So oh, your son that, went there as well. That's, nice. That's the Pitt connection. There we go. All right. Well, yeah. A lot of smart kids here, huh? Absolutely. Hail Pitt. My, my, yeah, my daughter actually, she stayed there. She works for Allegheny County uh, as a social worker. She works for children and youth out there as a caseworker. And uh, yeah, so she, she's, a, she's a full-fledged yinzer now. Yeah, you know, probably going to marry a Yenzer and, and you know settle out down there. So, so no, it's great. Uh, so you guys started a firm together, and it's been a number of years. Uh, how do you think managing a law firm has changed in that time, the business of law as opposed to the practice? I don't know if it's changed dramatically. Um, you know, if you take out the last year, which <laughs> has changed dramatically, um, but before that, I, I don't think it has. Um, I think one of the things we've seen in our practice, uh, you know, we do a lot of insurance defense work, and I think that's changed. Uh, certainly when I started uh, in the late 80s, there was a high volume of smaller cases that we would see. Uh, cases would just kind of pour in. And I would say, you know, in the past 10 years, the volume of cases is down, but the ones you have are more involved. So I, I think that certainly has changed. Uh, we do a lot of auto work, so uh, when the legislature's brought in limited tort to try to limit the number of claims, uh, I think that that has also had a substantial impact. So in, in the insurance defense industry, I think that I've noticed a, a big change in the you know past, uh, hate to say it, but 35 years uh, since I've been out of school. And do you think the limited tort is the main driver of that, or are there other reasons why it's more cases, bigger value, as opposed to more of a volume practice? I, I think part of it is the limited tort. Um, I also think that, uh, you know, when I first started, uh, I worked in Philadelphia, and you'd often have cases with a SEPTA bus where there'd be two people on the bus and uh, 15 lawsuits filed. Uh, so I think uh, that that's changed. I think some of the fraud, I think people are more careful about that. Uh, certainly the you know, transit agencies, including SEPTA, are more careful about that and cognizant of it. So I think there's less of that. Uh, I think limited tort, I think it has impacted uh, the cases. You know, we used to have, a, I said, a high volume and, and we'd settle a lot of cases for four or five, six thousand dollars You know, we don't do that anymore. Those cases uh, either get settled, you know, pre, pre-lawsuit or, or just are, aren't brought anymore. Yeah, I, I, from my perspective, I, I just think the, with technology, the, the speed of the practice is just amplified. I mean, the, the you know, with, with the emailing, it's just, you know, it's constantly, it's connected to your iPhone. You know, people, certainly in the last year working remote, you know, getting emails all hours of the night, you know, people trying to work around their own schedule if they're working at home, maybe their kid's schedule or whatever. And, you know, they finally get to the brief at 10 o'clock and, you know, I'm sitting there, you know, watching reruns of The Office and someone dumps a brief on me at 10 o'clock at night. So you see a lot more of that. Um, the expectations of your clients for sort of an immediacy in terms of responsiveness, you know, because they're emailing you and, and you know, they, I, I almost feel like they, they want a response at 11 o'clock at night <laughs> to their email. Yeah, so I don't deal with insurance companies. I mean, I do, but not on the defense side, uh, sometimes on the plaintiff side, but mostly I do criminal law and uh, child welfare law. So how do you go to a 
insurance company uh, or, or another client and say, look, the four lawyers in our office are going to do a better job for you. You should stick with us instead of going to a, you know, Reed Smith or whatever in, in one of these huge firms in Philadelphia. How does that work? Well, I think to keep the client uh, <clears throat> is just hard work, get good results. Uh, I've always said, and I you know, tell the associates here, nobody likes to hear bad news. Uh, but what companies really don't like is when they don't hear the bad news. So keep them advised. You know, and, and this is the same with private clients. You know, again, nobody likes to call up a client and say, hey, I lost this motion or you know, we, we have an order against us that uh, isn't favorable. But the worst thing that's happened is, is to ignore it. So keep people advised. Uh, most re insurance companies, one thing that another thing that's changed over the years is the reporting requirements. There seems to be more of that. Get your reports out on time. Be thorough. Um, tell them the good news about the case. Tell them the bad news. Just be honest with them and, and get good results. And so that's the, to me, that's the best way to keep them. As far as getting, that's the tough part. Uh, <laughs> Uh, you know, all insurance companies at this point either have house counsel or, you know, their list of of, uh, of counsel. And I think Joe and I uh, would joke about it. Like, once you get on the list, you want to shut it off. Nobody else can come in once we get on. Hey, uh, so it's, it's tough to get it. It's tough to get the foot in the door. But once you get in there, it's like any other client. Keep them happy, work hard, and keep them advised. Yeah, I think, it, you know, what we offer compared to the larger firm, and, and, and there's five of us, Josh. Don't, don't cut uh don't cut Jason Edwards out of it. <laughs> <laughs> who knows who I was cutting out? That yeah, exactly. is true. It is true. Um, but, uh, you know, I, you know I, I used to like to say when we started practice, you know, the spin was, you know, you're, you're, you know, when you hire us, you hire an attorney. You're not hiring a bureaucracy. So you're not mm -hmm. dealing with, you're not dealing with, you know, it's, it's, we're no different than any other small business. And I think what we offer is a more personalized service that, you know, you, we have, you know, file ownership for the attorneys and, you know, the clients can call and, you know, this is the attorney handling the file. It's not like I'm calling in and, you know, I'm, I'm dealing with a partner who's probably not dealing with the day-to-day -day aspects of the case. I mean, so, I mean, I, I think that's what we have to offer. Yeah. Right, so let's shift gears for a second. Let's talk about um, your firm in 2015, 2016. So you guys are humming along. Everyone's making money. Things are going well. You've got your clients. Uh, Governor Wolf calls up and, um, you know, tells Joe Walsh, you're going to be a judge. Uh, tell me what happens, how that went down and what that conversation was like. Well, obviously, I mean, Joe got the news first that, uh, you know, I knew that uh, he was one of many vying for Judge Ott's uh, spot on the bench. And uh, I think he got a call because I think I was at home that night. Uh, around seven o'clock at night and Joe had called me to, you know, to, to say that the news was official at that point. And, uh, fortunately, and I, and I appreciate this, uh, I know judge was in a class of, I even know how many 15, maybe 20 common pleas judges, uh, who were appointed by the governor. And, uh, I know some of them took, I think, uh, took their appointments the following day. <laughs> they couldn't wait to get on the bench. And, and I appreciate that uh, judge Wall stuck around for about two months maybe even a little bit more. I think it was early June when he found out and he left about mid-August. So that gave us uh, time, gave me time uh, to talk to the clients to make sure that, uh, you know, that they were happy and uh, and then to find uh, his replacement, uh, which wasn't easy, but uh, hired uh, an attorney, Jody Mooney, uh, who had uh, experience. She was from the Lehigh Valley area, but uh, came down here and took over a fairly heavy inventory. Uh, 
and uh, was able to uh, to handle that inventory and keep the firm moving uh, and going forward. Uh, at that point, you know, obviously you know, we weren't sure if he was coming back or not, uh, depending on the uh, the election the, the following year. But that time between the June announcement and uh, the swearing in uh, in mid-August certainly helped. Uh, and I you know, was appreciative that, that I had the time to, to make the transition because uh, you know, it was a little, it wasn't easy and it was a little scary losing uh, you know, a, a partner, as Joe said, we met in 1991, worked together from 94 uh, up until you know, he took the bench in 16 and then came back in 18. And Judge, was, so tell me about that phone call. You don't have to get into content, but you know your phone rings and they say, "Hey, it's the governor." Or how does that work? <laughs> well, it, interestingly, so I, for the record, I, I actually never got a phone call from the governor. Um, I, I did. I did get a call from the uh, the chair of the Judiciary Committee for the, the Pennsylvania Senate, who was Senator Greenleaf, uh, who, who actually was my senator uh, for my district that I lived in. So yeah. Um, but yeah, it was it was exciting, and, and you know, Senator Greenleaf. Um, you know, I had met with him earlier in that year, um, you know, to discuss, you know, the fact that there was a vacancy and, and you know, if there was going to be an appointment, you know, and, and he committed to to support me and, and commit, had that commitment all the way through. So, um, you know, I, I have, you know, so much gratitude to, to Senator Greenleaf, who unfortunately passed, you know, just a month or so ago. So it was a sad, it was a sad time for me personally, because it was a man that did not not only so much for me, for me from on a personal basis, but for the Bar Association, the profession, just a great, great person. But yeah, so I guess, you know, my, my you know, with discussions with Bruce, I think early on when we formed the practice, I mean, he, I was involved, like I said, with community affairs and things like that and, and had always, you know, expressed an interest in serving as a judge at some point in my career. Um, and I think that goes back to when I had the fortune of clerking for Judge Hutton down in the Eastern District, you know, after law school. Um, so that had always been sort of on my radar. And, you know, I was pretty transparent about that, that if the opportunity came at some point, I would like to embrace it. So, you know, it, it came in 2016. Quite honestly, at that point in my career, I, I you know, I, I was put, look, looking maybe more toward when I was in the latter part of my 50s, maybe pushing 60, not uh, not at 50, um, you know, just again, because of issues with my kids' college and things. But, you know, again, the window opportunities in life sometimes just open and you have to take advantage of them. So, you know, I, I embraced it and fortunately everything went through. I got a lot of support from both Democrats and Republicans and, uh, you know, got on the bench and, um, you know, did, did the best that I could while I was there. So, and I, I did feel bad for Bruce because I know it was a stressful time for him. Um, you know, with the transition and, and, you know, the period of time that I was gone. Um, but, you know, he kept the firm going, did a great job and, you know, maintained the client base and the reputation of, of the firm. And, um, you know, I was happy to come back when I, when I had the opportunity to come back. So. And so for those that don't know, when somebody becomes a judge, you can't have their name on a law firm anymore. So, Bruce, what did you turn the law firm into? We kicked it around a lot and, you know, it, it, like I said, I had several months with the judge before he left and eventually uh, decided on the, the name of uh, Panko Law Group. Uh, kept the logo very similar, uh, kept the colors uh, on the logo the same to try to keep some continuity uh, in the firm. So, you know, at that point, I was the, uh, you know, the sole owner 
because in addition to taking his name off, he had to divest his ownership interest uh, in the firm as well. So we did that uh, and uh, stayed that way until he came back in said, January 2018. And did you ever practice in front of George Walsh? <laughs> yeah. Um, I visited him in his chambers. I would visit him in his courtroom. Uh, I mean, I, the other thing, I mean, he was never on civil. Uh, I think when he, when judge, he, he could tell you more, but he started out in family law and then did a year on the uh, criminal bench. So, uh, but even if he had been on civil, uh, I don't think that, that, I don't think I would have gone too far. Probably would not have been kosher, right? I don't Correct. think. Correct. So judge, I, you had always been, you know, obviously a civil litigator and, you know, or been in insurance defense at that point for many, many years, and then you're thrown under the family bench. What was that like? Um, I, I, I loved it. It was, it was, it was interesting. So when I got on, I got on the bench, you know, all, all my friends in civil practice, uh, you know, were telling me, oh, I, I get, you know, I guess you can't wait to get on the civil. And, and I, I really had no interest in going on the civil bench at, at that point. You know, if I, if I had, you know, stayed on the bench, obviously for, until now, you know, at some point I would have liked to have circled back and, and presided over civil cases. But, you know, to me, this was a whole new opportunity for me as, as, as an attorney, as someone in the legal profession, you know, and so I wanted to take take full advantage of it. And obviously there was a need in family. They signed me. I had, you know, I had no problem sitting in family court. I enjoyed it. Um, I enjoyed the opportunity to, to meet a whole new practice uh, of attorneys. Um, I met a, a number of attorneys that, you know, that are terrific, terrific lawyers that I had never met before. And you make everyone in the office call you judge? I do, actually. I make my yeah. wife call me judge. Yeah. How does so, that go? It goes well. She, uh, your, well, your honor. She calls me your honor. Everybody yeah. else in the firm calls me judge. You know, sometimes I have to put the robe on, you know, at home just to, you know, keep order. Yeah. We don't need to know what you do at home. <laughs> uh, but... Uh, you know, in court, obviously, and as a matter of course, when, once someone's a judge or once they're the president or once they're, you know, any of these honorable professions, it is common to, you know, still call you judge, right? When you're in court, uh, how does that work? No, nah, they just call me Mr. Walsh, so. Okay. But, uh, the judge doesn't call you judge? No, nah, no, nah, they won't call me. Yeah. Uh, certainly not in open court, but uh, my, my, my friends and colleagues on the bench when I'm there will... Uh, will call me that, uh, you know, in front of their staff or something if I'm visiting, but, uh, but that's about it. Excellent. Well, hey, let's take a, we're going to take a little bit of a turn and we're going to uh, ask you guys some lighter questions. Now, I understand that uh, you made one of your associates in the firm listen to the previous episodes so that you'd be prepared. Didn't listen to them yourself. That's okay. Um, but wanted to know, you know, what's this going to be like? Who's this bald guy with a bow tie? I've seen him around. Why is he interviewing us? That kind of thing. So you already know the most important question, the reason we even started this podcast, is to get people's opinions on the Oxford comma. Uh, now, Judge, you were an English major? I do. I have a degree from English from the, the, the Jesuit University of Philadelphia, otherwise known as St. Joseph's University. So and what's Josh, your take? I was just a criminal justice major, so we, we didn't worry about commas. Yeah, yeah. I was a poli-sci major. I didn't even know how to write. Yeah, I, 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 I'm an advocate for the Oxford comma. I think it's still, you know... The way to go. It's 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 proper English. Um, I'm, I'm, I I do not like contractions. Not to you know to move on, but you know I have some pet peeves. I'm not big on contractions, and and I don't like hyphens. So that's just my thing. What about an M dash? Where are you on an M dash? Ooh, 
spicy. Damn, this podcast is getting crazy. Hold on, I gotta it make sure I mark it as explicit. <laughs> I don't know if I can share that on, on a public broadcast. My position. Yeah, fair enough. Me. Fair enough. Now, Bruce, uh, I know that you had to Google the Oxford comma before coming on here. And is this something that you've been using uh, that the judge has kind of instilled in the firm a culture of using this and we're doing this number of spaces after a period or what's your approach? I didn't Google it, but I did have Mike Lyon who listened to your both podcasts, your first two. He told me about the Oxford Comet and uh, then I realized I don't use it. Uh, so that, that was a, a, a quick discussion throughout the office. Uh, I, I know that in talking to some of Joe's assistants, uh, he's a heavy comma user. I have heard that comment uh, made prior. I, I think I use fewer. All right. So uh, another question well, I, I, I have. One, one more thing while we're on the topic of grammar. I just want to set yeah. the record straight here. Okay. Um, and, I, and, I, and I'll speak. My wife and I both have this, this strong position on it. She actually has an English degree from Notre Dame and a master's in English from Villanova. So. Um, but the plural of Walsh is 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 Walsh's, which you could do an es at the end as opposed to an apostrophe s, but I'm I'm just it remark it, it it's remarkable to us the number of people that will have like in a Christmas card or whatever addressed it to the Walsh's, and they'll have an apostrophe s. So it, it's 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 not a possessive, it's a plural. So yeah, just want to throw that out there. <laughs> yeah, well that's why I to get to avoid that jam, I would just write the Walsh family. There you there go. You go. No, That's the easy way to because some people's names are very hard to turn into a uh, plural. I so agree. You just do it that way. That's a little trick, a little pro tip for the listeners. Way to go, uh, John. I'm impressed, Josh. I am there impressed. you go. Oh, we don't send out Christmas cards. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm a Jew, so we don't. I don't know. And I, I, my wife says, oh, we should start sending out holiday cards. And I'm like, who has time? You know, I, uh, I do like getting them, but sending them, we haven't really pulled ourselves together yet uh, to have the picture and. You know, what are we going to say? Who are we going to send them to? But maybe one year we'll sort ourselves out. But not yeah. this year. Send it not last year. year. Not, not last year. Okay. Well, we sent out our, our holiday card. Um, we actually got them mailed a little later. So they got mailed two days after Christmas. And I had people calling me at the end of February saying they finally got a card. So thank you to the U.S. Postal Service. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so next question that nobody has a good answer to, or some people do, some people don't. Um, do you have any superstitions? Whether that's when I go into court, I always wear the same socks, or whether that's, you know, I won't step over or under a ladder, um, that kind of thing. Uh, not big on 13th, uh, which doesn't have anything to do with the practice. Um, I will say sometimes for trials, like if I'm parking at a certain parking garage, um, sometimes I'll find the same spot if the trial's going well, and I'll, which is a, a strange little thing, but I know that I've done it more than once, so I guess it is a superstition. Judge, did you do anything? You wear the same shoes every day of trial or uh, anything along those lines? Yeah, it's funny. Bruce mentioned the parking spot. Sometimes I, I'll, I'll do the same thing. So. Um, and, and I'm not sure if this is a superstition about trial, but ge and generally I, and, and this may go to some obsessive compulsion on my part, but I, I, I generally like even numbers or numbers that end in five. So if you ever read a brief of mine and they're, and they're numerical, I, I, will, I will not end like on an 11 paragraph or a 13 paragraph. It'll either be an even number or it'll round out at 15 or 20. So 
I, I will even think of an additional paragraph to throw in or, re, or break a paragraph in half so that we have numerically it, it lays out. So I don't know. Visually, it just I don't know what good. I don't know if that's OCD or superstition or what that is. That's something. Though. Is that crazy? You know, it is funny. I, you know, I mentioned that. So I guess I guess my wife's kind of crazy, too, because she she actually agreed with me on that one. Um, that, you know. But uh, so I, I don't know. It, yeah, that's it just visually doesn't look good to me. So um, and in the parking spaces, uh, you know, I'll generally try to hit an, an even number one or, or maybe one that, you know, a 15 or a 20 or something like that. So um, but yeah, as far as, you know, the dress, yeah, I, I you know, I, I want to make sure that uh, I, I have certain suits that, you know, I will wear maybe for the first day and the last day. You know, I try to pick out my my two best suits and. You know, if I'm going to open with one and close in one because you're standing closer to the jury, you know, and then, you know, if it's a longer trial in between, I, you know, I may not have, you know, I'll, I'll go with a mid-range suit. <laughs> but, yep. but that's where I'm at. So, um, see, I just exposed myself for my crazy number. Look at uh, that. See, I might, well, I've been reading up on Terry Gross and had an interview and I really had to get people to open up, you know. You broke so. me, me, me down, John. <laughs> yeah, look at that. Now, Bruce uh, is going to take a look at all my briefs and yeah. all the complaints. Yeah. <laughs> He's and texting it. someone right now. You know what? Do you know what the judge is doing over here <laughs> with his numbering? That's uh, right. So, another question uh, that I've been asking everyone and I think has been helpful to the listeners is what's the best piece of advice you've ever been given? I, I you know, I, I actually, I grew up the youngest. Uh, there, was, there was eight kids in the, in, in the family. And my parents grew up in the Depression. And, you know, my father, you know, and, and you've heard the expression too, would always say there, there's nothing, you know, there's no free lunch out there. Um, and just basically kind of told us, you know, you can't take everything for granted and, you know, kind of instilled in us the hard work. So I think I, I, I think about that often um, that, you know, kind of no one's going to give you something. You really just need to go out and, and work hard and, and, and earn your keep. That's good advice. Bruce, anything? It's all right. We can cut it out if not. Oh, that's okay. No, from a, from a legal standpoint, I know it sounds simple, but it's to be prepared. Um, and I, again, it sounds like a simple thing to do, but it means really being prepared, you know, knowing a whole file, uh, spotting issues, spotting issues that probably won't come up, but may come up and be, you know, familiar with that. Don't go to court unable to answer a particular question that a judge uh, is going to ask of you. So I think that, you know, being prepared uh, also gives you that confidence when you go into court to know that you're going to be tackle, be able to tackle something that comes up, even if it may be a bit of a surprise, uh, you'll have a, a response to it. So preparation, uh, you know, again, it sounds simple, but uh, it can't be overemphasized. Yeah, I think it's good advice and advice we've gotten from other guests as well. So we'll leave it there. Gentlemen, thank you for joining us. Uh, hope you enjoyed the experience. Hopefully it wasn't too traumatizing and I will hopefully be seeing you uh, at the bar association or in the courthouse soon. Thanks, Josh. Yeah, I hope so. Hey, thanks for having us, Josh. I, I hope people will actually listen to us. <laughs> or at least as I tell them, we don't care if you listen, as long as you rate and review on iTunes, that's what matters. Yeah, we will do it. But no, great job. I, I appreciate you having us today. Thanks. It's been a pleasure. That was fun. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Interrogatories with Josh Campson. This podcast is a production of the Montgomery Bar Association in Norristown, Pennsylvania. 
Views expressed during the podcast are those of the participants and not their employers or the Montgomery Bar Association. No content in this podcast should be construed as legal advice. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe to Interrogatories, which is available wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave us that five-star rating and review. For more information, visit us at www.montgomerybar.org.